Good morning. Morning. I know that some of you are probably asking yourselves right now, who's that funny little jigger up there with the suit on? Uh, <clears throat> my name is Jerry Hicks, and I've been with Discovery Alliance for uh, since the beginning. And um, I've been with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, affiliated with them for uh, many years, a lot of years. Um, this morning, I'm going to read to you a psalm. And you can turn there now. It's Psalm 137. And um, I'm going to ask you to kind of help me out. Uh, I would like you to pay attention to, uh, to me as we read this, but to be able to tell me when I'm finished who the author is, what the setting is, where does it take place and when? And perhaps tell me what the big idea is. We English teachers call that big idea a theme. So maybe you could tell me what the theme of this psalm is. But let's commit our time to the Lord. Dear Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to your truths. I pray that you would teach us this morning and give us a spiritual lesson. Lord, I pray that we might be a church that loves one another and encourages one another. To worship you, Lord, is our desire. Today we want to sing your song to you. Thank you for this place and this time, and thank you for your word. I pray that you would be pleased with what we do, and that your joy would be our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm happy to be here today because it means that our pastors get a little bit of a break. And I'm going to take a little bit of a break from the book of Luke. And um, now that you're all with me on Psalm 137 and perhaps have read it several times to yourselves, um, you know all the answers. So let's uh, listen to the psalm. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. You know, in the King James Version, it says that they hung their harps on the willows that were by the rivers. And I've often wondered when I read this if that's how the name Weeping Willows came about. Kind of interesting. Might be. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. <clears throat> they said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, 
May my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did. On that day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us, he who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. <clears throat> Mozart one time was asked about um, his music, his compositions, and his answer was, yes, the notes are very important, but so are the spaces between the notes. So are those pauses between the notes. And I think it could be termed spiritual reading when we not only understand the words we read, but what is God really saying to us? And what are these pauses he means in addition to the words he uses? What is he really saying to us? Who is doing the writing? We don't know his name, but we know this about him that he's an Israelite he's lamenting the fact that he is no longer in Jerusalem where is he Babylon. he's in Babylon this is the very beginning of the exile and these these people are in Babylon and he is lamenting the fact that he's no longer in Jerusalem and now he says oh how I miss it and don't we often take things for granted and then when we lose those things we said oh man wasn't Jerusalem swell wasn't Zion the greatest place to be remember the temple remember how we had it in the old days yeah, this guy is, the setting is Babylon. The time is around 606 B.C. It's the exile. The exile had been prophesied for years. And the prophets would say, change your ways, O Israel. Do away with the false gods or else. There will be a 70-year period where you will be exiled. And now it's happened from 606 B.C. To, to 636 B.C. is considered to be the exile. Oh, they're devastated, the writer of this song. They can't even sing the Lord's song. And their tormentors are saying, yeah, sing us a song. Sing us your song of Israel. Sing us a song. They're being tormented. This once proud nation, rich nation, where kings and queens would come to Israel to 
like the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon to find out where he got his wisdom and his riches. And now they're devastated. They're no longer a temple. It's been demolished. And um, they're in despair. Between the words, the pauses, I can see they are just like us, and they take these things, they had taken these things for granted. But my theme, the verse that I want to concentrate on this morning, is verse 4, the big idea. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange and foreign culture? I don't mean simply a pandemic. I mean how our culture has changed. In my lifetime, we used to be called a Christian nation. Now we're called a post-Christian nation. We used to, back in the old days, Nordy, we used to pray in school and sing songs to our Lord in class. Now, not so much. There used to be truth, and truth was based on God's word. Now, there's Joel's truth, and there's my truth, and there's whoever truth, whoever you're talking to has seems to have his own truth. And everything just is relative. Today our culture stresses a person's rights. Not so much talk anymore about a person's responsibilities. And I can even remember when a president in his inauguration speech dared to say something like, ask not what you can do for your, or no, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And now it seems like we're pretty dependent on our government. So how can we sing God's song in a foreign country? Well, the answer is again from Scripture. And I'm going to be reading just uh, the first um, eight verses or so from the book of Daniel. And it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put in the treasures of his God's house. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king of the court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility 
young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. Now Ashpenaz was to teach these men the language and the literature of Babylon. What's he doing? He is indoctrinating these Israelites into the Babylonian culture, this foreign culture. A while back we would have called for three years, we would have said these guys are being brainwashed. In fact, he even goes so far as to change their names. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The official, the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Another very important verse, this next one. You see, they were to eat at the king's table. They were to eat a food that had been dedicated to the Babylonian gods. But, good for Daniel. It says in verse 8, but Daniel resolved to to not, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief consular for permission not to defile himself in this way. Choices, choices, choices. Life is full of choices. And here Daniel has a tremendous choice. Either fall right into the culture of the Babylonians or honor God. And he chooses not to honor the God of Babylon, but to honor his God, our God. How do we raise kids to sing the Lord's song when they're being brainwashed by the culture? A little further down in verse 17, where we're told that if God calls us, he will also equip us. He blesses Daniel with wisdom and the ability to interpret dreams. Here's what the Bible has to say about that. Are you with me? Are you still awake? Good, good. Thank you. You look good. But in verse in in First Thessalonians, um, there's this short line that Paul is telling the church in Thessalonica, and he says, "Faithful is he who calls you, who will also do it." Do you believe that? If God calls you, He will equip you. Ephesians it says. For we are God's workmanship, his artwork, created in Christ Jesus for good deeds, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. If he calls us, he will do it. Ah, and then one of my favorite verses that I've used with the Awana kids and everything for years. And I would get up on the chair and I would look out from Second Chronicles, verse uh, 9 of chapter 16. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro across the whole world looking for one person, any person, looking for you and me who will serve him with a fully committed heart. And then he promises this. If I find that person like I found when I was looking at Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, if I find that per person, I will show myself mighty on your behalf. It's a promise from God. My purpose this morning is not to retell the story of the lion's den and the fiery furnace. My purpose is to show how we too can be resolute in our, and fully committed in our faith to our God and his truth, even in a foreign land, a foreign culture. And here's how it's done. And I've got pages and pages to go. <laughs> but I'm probably not going to get there. <laughs> but all the answers, I think, are found in Daniel, the first chapter, verse 17. And here's what happened. The king Nebuchadnezzar has this horrible dream. You remember it. It really bothers his soul. And he goes to his wise men and he says, tell me what my dream was. He doesn't say, tell me how to interpret it. He says, you tell me what I dreamed. And all of his wise men say, hey, we can't do that. It's impossible. And he says, death be to you guys. What do you think you're here for? Well, they go to Daniel, and Daniel is asked to go before the king and tell the king what he dreamed. If God calls you, he will equip you. So anyway, Daniel goes and talks to the king. And the king presents this impossible task. And in verse 17, here's what we read. Here are all of our answers, 17 through 19. It says, then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. He, Daniel, urged them, pleaded with them to ask God and get God's mercy. Let me read that. He, Daniel, urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. What's he doing? He's asking them to pray. 
concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends would not be executed with the rest of the wise men from Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Okay. Daniel's faced with a mighty task. Impossible. First of all, he goes to his friends. Oh, how important it is to have Christian friends to share your problems with, to be encouraged by. It's why I think Pastor Sean and Pastor Paul talk about small groups. Surround yourself with good Christian friends who are great examples to you. I think that's why in the New Testament, God ordained the local church so that we might love and encourage one another. And then, as I mentioned before, he had his buddies pray, plead with God, ask for his mercy, and he will deliver us. And then, reading kind of between those lines, it says, Daniel praised the God of heaven. Important? Yes. God's word tells us. We're all familiar with this verse. We're all familiar, and I can't find it right now. <laughs> no. Um, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but what? In all your ways, acknowledge God, and he will direct your paths. As you read through the book of Daniel, as you look at the life of King David, you will find that they want their God who answered their prayers to acknowledge, to be acknowledged. They want God to be acknowledged and not themselves. Our human nature is, hey, I want to be the one to interpret the dream. I want to steal God's glory for myself, I think it's called pride. In all our ways, acknowledge God. We sometimes worry about giving our testimonies. Sometimes our testimony can be as simple as saying, at the right time, praise the Lord. He did it, not me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for answering my prayers. Simply acknowledging the Lord. They joined together as Christian friends. They prayed and they acknowledged God in all that they did. Yeah, I'm just going to finish with this. 
again reading between the lines, you say, how do you get kids to be obedient? What do you think their parents did to help these kids be so resolute in their faith? Well, I think the answer again is kind of between the words. But do you know that 16 years before the exile was the last great revival in Israel? It was young King Josiah who resolved to serve the Lord and he started to do away with all of the idols. But it was young King Josiah who sent the workers to the temple and in the basement of the temple, what did they find? Thank you for being awake, Terry. No, they found the book of the law. It had been lost. For years, do you know that Josiah's dad was uh, Amon and his grandpa was M Manasseh? Probably the worst king in the, in the Old Testament in a long line of bad kings. And yet this young king Josiah found the book of the law that they had disregarded for so long and he brought the people to the temple and they, the priests read before the people the book of the law. Then he made the people take a covenant and make a covenant with their God to not only read and know God's word, but to obey it. Then he resurrected and brought back the Passover where all the people of Israel would go to the temple. It was the last great revival in Israel. Now, yes, our kids in this story Daniel is 16 years old. So if, if he were born at all, he would have been a tiny baby. But don't you suppose those parents that made the covenant to honor their God, to be resolute and make a covenant with their God, they were, these kids were raised by those parents. Hey, maybe it's a stretch. Maybe it's my sanctified imagination, but can't you see the, the synergy there? Can't you see the relationship of parents who want to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to train up their children in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. It's a promise. Yes, we can sing the Lord's song in a foreign culture. Know God's word. At your family altar this week or when you're at the table, pray with your kids. Talk to them about, uh, let's say, Romans 12:2, where it says, do not be conformed to your culture but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? We can do it. Let us encourage one another. Let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. I think it's in the Bible. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for being with us this morning and being our teacher. Lord, we want to just praise you and thank you
for giving us the great hope of eternal life, but also for giving us the promise of the abundant life here, if we'll just be obedient to you and your word. Thank you, in Jesus' precious name, and for his sake, amen.